What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Storytime with Uncle Reddit. My name's John. That's Nickel. And this is r slash Tales from Tech Support. Well, we successfully found a box that he seems interested in. And it's just the right size. Of course, now Dimey's over here moping because he doesn't have a box. So I got to find a second one for him. Uh, except he'll probably pee in it. What are you going to do? All right, let's read some stories. Outlook Offline. Need help with the Outlook? That's it. That's the entire ticket. Most users are courteous enough to post screenshots or detailed descriptions. Not this person. Also, they're an executive. Me. I'm sorry, but your request is lacking in detail. Are you getting error messages? What are you trying to do exactly? User. Outlook Offline and Spotty. Me. Uh, can you send a screenshot? He does so. The issue, which he didn't explain for crap, was that Outlook's work offline toggle was enabled. Kind of important information to exclude, but whatever. That's an easy fix. Me. Search for work offline in the search bar at the top of your Outlook window and toggle it under Actions. That will fix the issue. User. No, it just returns results about offline emails. <laughs> Fine. Maybe you didn't notice it. The search results can be crowded. We can do the direct option instead. Okay. Open the send and receive tab. The toggle is there. User. I can't toggle it. Me. You click and it does nothing? User. Yes. Fine. Maybe Outlook glitches out. It's happened to me. Me. Please open any desk so I can troubleshoot. He opens it surprisingly fast, all things considered. I get connected, navigate to send receive, and click it. It works without issue. Outlook returns to connected to Microsoft Exchange mode. Now at this point my blood was boiling because he's demonstrated a complete ineptitude at clicking buttons. Thank god this wasn't a phone call or my frustration would have been laid bare against my better judgment. Me. It's fixed. Your mailboxes are updating. User. No, it still says working offline. Naturally that's nonsense. I watched the working offline prompt switch to connected to MS Exchange with my own two eyes. Maybe he didn't see it yet? Me. It's connected. It says so in this area, as I hover above the connected text. User. No, it still says work offline. <laughs> That's when I noticed he wasn't looking at the area I was pointing to. He was looking at the literal work offline toggle. Me. That's just the toggle, sir. That won't change in real time. The status below says connected. User. But why does it still say work offline? That means I'm offline. I'm fed up. I open my own Outlook, send him a message, politely of course. Me, via Outlook. Your Outlook is working online now. This message would not have arrived otherwise. User is sitting still for a few moments. Then he says, thank you. We both disconnect. I'm still dumbfounded several hours later. I sort of get what the guy's saying. It, for me, I wish the offline button, and I don't use Outlook anymore. The, only, the last time I used Outlook, I worked for the uh, County Board of Education here. And uh, I refuse to ever use it again. But anyway, if I was to use it again... It would be nice if there was some way for the toggle switch itself to show status, you know, like, I don't know how to put it. If I toggle offline on and I'm disconnected, I wish there was some way for the button to like light up a certain way. Like, okay, you're working offline now and then go the other color when you toggle it off. I don't know, but maybe there is something and I just, I haven't used it in so long. I really don't care, but for the sake of this story anyway. I just answer the phones, dude. 
Our process for account compromises. Blah, blah, blah. Our process for account compromises is pretty standard. The SOC sees this and disables all the accounts that do this for both that user's protection as well as the university in general. Once disabled, we have an easy but tedious verification process to re-enable. Basically, they have to send in or show a government ID, confirm personal info, and then either SOC or Tier 2 will re-enable it and force them to reset everything. First week on a job working at University Help Desk as a student. It was a closing shift from 8 p.m. to midnight, and at about 6 p.m., a phishing email made it through and went to about 5,000 of the 50,000 users. 2,500 of these users decided to click on the link within. Holy cow. This was mostly students with some staff and a handful of faculty. Naturally, being night, only about 800 of said users noticed their account is no longer accessible. Problem is, there were only four of us in the call center. Most people hung up and left the callback request after about 10 minutes of listening to our fight song on repeat in the queue. There were enough stubborn people that didn't that it took about two and a half hours from dial to answer. Administrative assistant Kyle calls pretty early and sends all the information needed to do the reset. I was very clear that I couldn't guarantee an exact time he'd regain access and said it would likely be in the morning. He either didn't hear me or ignored that part because he tells me, great, and then he hangs up. Five minutes later, while scrolling through the queue to cry about how long it was, I noticed him re-enter at the bottom of the queue. It's about 9 p.m. by now. I expect him to send a callback request for whatever question he thought of. Hours go by of gathering information and explaining what happened to mostly kind and understanding customers. We're supposed to close at midnight, but still had about 15 people actively waiting in the queue and collectively decided to help them as they were probably students with deadlines. 14 of them were, and number 15 at the very end was Administrative Assistant Kyle from earlier. He sat in the queue for three hours after sitting in it for an hour and a half earlier in the night. His pressing concern? Why can't I get into my account yet? I have important work to do. Mind you, it's 1am and I have class in 7 hours. He goes on a 15 minute rant about my abuse of power and begins demanding my personal information so he can follow up with my boss in the morning. After 15 minutes of shouting about me, the university, his wife, and the fight song that played in our queue for all combined 4 hours he spent in it, I finally got the point across that I'm a student and just answer the phones and re-image university computers. Okay, so he's a student. So what if he wasn't? Even if he was some bigwig with a university, um, or like the highest IT tier level that they have, who cares? It doesn't put you ahead of everybody else. It doesn't make you any more important. And it damn sure doesn't mean that he's going to be able to do anything any faster. There's a process to things, you know, come on. People are amazing. I mean, I can understand being in a slight panic if there's something important I need to do, but at the same time, it is what it is. I'm not going to verbally beat up some guy on the phone because of this kind of stuff when there's really nothing he can do about it. Eh, maybe it's just me. Right, Nickel? Once in a while, you find a good one. I work for an international home furnishings manufacturer. I support over 8,000 people, and most of them, while pleasant people, are awful at letting me and my team help them. Last week, I got an email through titled, Headset and Dock from a new guy asking for a USB-C dock and a Bluetooth headset. No big deal. I'd call him, find out where he is on site, and reassign it. Imagine my delight when I opened the email to see he'd included his office desk number and that it was time-sensitive, even expressing the model numbers of the kit his colleague had asking for the same. I reassigned it to the hardware team and got on with my day. Today he emails again, CCing our department's director. Not with a request, but expressing his thanks at our prompt IT service, 
and was very pleased that despite how busy the team is and the size of the company, he received his equipment in plenty of time with zero hassle, and he's worked for much larger companies that didn't hold a candle to us. Not a particularly interesting story, but a feel-good one. It demonstrates that if they do the bare minimum in supplying information, they get far better and faster service. What I'm most impressed by is he was new and there's people in the company who've been there way longer than me that still don't preempt the questions we'll ask to get the ball rolling. Well done, guy. Whether I know what I'm talking about or not when I send in requests for IT, help, or whatever, or whether I've been doing it for years or I'm brand new at it, I will give every bit of information I can possibly conceive of that may help my case or may help the IT people to help me with my case, whatever. It only makes things easier. When I send in a request for a car part for one of my cars, you know, you got year, make, model, um, submodel, you know, XLT, blah, blah, blah. You know, not that it matters for a lot of the parts that I order, but they still want to know, is it a six cylinder? Is it an eight cylinder? Which eight cylinder is it? I mean, if I thought it would help, I'd put the damn color down. I don't care. But, uh, yeah, I mean, why not? It just makes things easier. But we already know people don't like to make things easy, so there's that. Never do free anything. Last year I dished out some advice that I didn't take. Never do free tech support. Well guys, I took things a step further. I recently finished a comp side degree with opportunities few and far between in my country. I was itching for a real world project I could sink my teeth into from start to finish. For the experience, you know. One day I was chatting with my friend who had just quit her private school teaching job due to burnout and was tutoring students in private classes as a means of income. This particular day she was describing how stressed she was trying to figure out what each parent owed her for the classes. She bills at the start of every quarter. I asked about her process and she showed me an incredibly convoluted spreadsheet with no formula. Formulae? Formula? Whatever. I was doing manual calculations on everything. Then contacting each parent with a generic you owe me X total, either by email or text message. Ha! I found my project. I didn't tell her this, but I started working on something quietly. I had a copy of her spreadsheet, and in a few months of nights and weekends, much head bashing, several screw-ups and a few tears, I had a working prototype. At this point, I let her know. She was thrilled, thanked me profusely, and promptly left the country she lived in for a couple of months. At this point, I must note that we live on opposite sides of the planet with a 12-hour time difference between us. During this time, she was online like normal and I asked her to let me know when she was ready to install the application so we could do some testing before it was time to use it for real. No dice. I didn't want to be pushy because what if she didn't actually want this? It's not like I told her I was doing it ahead of time or anything, mainly because I wasn't sure if I could actually produce something good enough. Anyway, two months roll by and she's back in the country that she lives in and is ready and excited about installation. Great. Through much teeth gnashing, we get it installed and she starts using it. I fully expect bugs because while I did extended testing myself, I'm not the user and we all know how that goes. So I ask her to note bugs found in a shared document. By this time, her classes are starting and she's using it with live data and not using any backup note taking. I try to tell her, hey, we haven't tested this fully yet. Maybe do both for a bit. But of course, it's too much work. You know what else is too much work? Using the very short manual I typed out telling her how each part of the program works. Much to my surprise, <laughs> there are very few bugs. But I look at the documents she's compiling and guys, there are 38. Hey, maybe you can do this extremely complicated thing to the program so I can only click one button instead of two? At first I considered this good feedback. I mean, if I'm to deal with real world users, 
this is precisely how they will behave, right? I go through the app and fix or change 18 of the 38 things she wanted done. Some I decided were too complicated to accomplish with very little reward. Others couldn't really be done because I hemmed myself in with my DB design, learning my lessons. And some I just found annoying, so I defiantly and tactfully said no. Two weeks later, I send her version 1.1. Immediately, she complains that the discount field is a percentage value and not a dollar amount. I snarkily commented that any dollar amount is a percentage of a whole. She responds, I don't know what percentage $100 is of a $900 bill. Well, I guess I could use a calculator. Note, I may actually change the discount field to a dollar amount, but I was tired of her entitlement for all the other stuff she requested, hence the snark. Today I woke up to a new note. You know what I really hate? Having to email out these invoices. Maybe you could make the app do it automatically? <laughs> Edit to add. How could I forget that she wanted the email feature done in the next couple of days so that she could send out invoices before her students start? Guys, this lady had been manually tracking students, parents, dates, times, contact info, discounts, class attendance, and then sitting with the calculator doing manual calculations, etc. I gave her an application that automatically generates nicely designed PDF invoices by the parent based on enrollment of multiple children, keeps track of attendance and payments, maps parents to students, and generates charts, lists, and reports based on provided criteria for both finance, outstanding invoices, income reports for taxes, etc., and enrollment. But how dare I make her manually send out her 10 to 15 invoices every quarter? This was supposed to be a hobby project that I'd work on for a bit sharpen some skills, then move on to working on skills in other areas. I haven't been able to move on from it yet, a whole year later, because I was dumb and did it for free. Entirely my fault, and I own it. Head meet desk, repeatedly. P.S. I know that such programs already exist, and she could easily have found a paid solution online. The goal of the exercise was to see if I could create one from start to finish. I saw it as a win in the experience column for me. So while I understand taking on some projects to get experience and to be nice, you know, if you have a friend who you don't mind helping out once in a while, I get that. But at the same time, to, in order to make them appreciate it and you, you need to charge something, even if it's minimal. It could have been, you know, a couple hundred bucks for the whole program said and done. And then, you know, maybe a couple bucks for every major change you had to do or something. I don't know. And I would explain when I make these changes yeah, they're not going to come fast. I'm doing this part-time in my own time so that I can get the experience while you are paying a very minimal fee for a custom automated database. I mean, come on, let's get real. Yeah, I mean, it's tough, man. I've done carpentry for people before where I really didn't charge them much of anything. I no sooner get finished and then I have them calling me back saying, hey, could you also do this or this or, you know, if I build a deck and a set of steps, you know, hey, could you like change the railing? Could you do this? Could you do that? And, you know, most of my charge something too, but yeah, don't treat me like they're your normal contractor. And actually, I still wouldn't treat a regular contractor that way. I mean, get all your ducks in a row beforehand or deal with change orders and an upcharge. The audacity of non-tech minded people. So I had a fairly easy ticket today. The complaint was that a URL that was linked in their profiles to an external site was no longer working and came up with an error 403. After looking at the ticket, I came to the conclusion either the widget updated or the external website that was linked changed its URL so it had to have HTTPS at the beginning for the link to work. Easy solution. 
Just update the link on your profile to have HTTPS colon slash slash in front of it. More client errors than anything because everything's working as it should. Half the employees of the company already caught on months ago and amended or updated the link. But the customer decided to ask and then demand this. If this is the resolution, can you inbuild a way in the profiles to automatically add the HTTPS at the beginning for links for me? It's very time consuming to go and change this link for everybody's profiles. Her way of thinking was instead of sending out an email asking everybody to check and amend their own profiles, was for us to ask the development team to amend the profile widget to do this automatically, which is a change that could take weeks to months, which they would refuse to do. I know it would be laughed at. Because she can't be bothered to type an email or amend her broken link herself, I got my manager to shut her down as always. I just can't believe people think in this manner. I would never assume, let alone demand, this sort of thing. Yup, there's a lot of entitlement out there. Why do a little bit of work myself when I can have somebody else do it who really shouldn't be doing it um, and then make it all automated? Yeah, no. You've been listening to Storytime with Uncle Reddit. If you enjoy this content, be sure to follow my podcast. I upload new episodes at least three times a week.